You're listening to the Hard Hedge, UVA's only independent basketball podcast hosted by two guys, one of whom happens to be a fake coach. Fake coach. Get up out your seat, you can have my drink, let me see you dance. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Pittman and Phony Bennett. When the sun falls, the sun falls, then the moonlights, the moonlights, might be a hell of a night. Go, 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 go. Welcome out there, Virginia fans, to a very sweet 16 edition of the Hard Hedge. I am Mike Pittman. We are honored to have you with us tonight. First, I want to apologize that we haven't had uh, any episodes recently. It's just been a confluence of uh, schedule uh, limitations that have caused us to to miss a couple weeks here right at a key point in the season. But look, it's uh, it's it's crunch time now. Here we are in the Sweet 16. A uh, couple of uh, wins from a, a, a major marquee time in this program's history so we're going to be coming back with a vengeance here and uh phony you know we got a lot to catch up on here brother but uh you know are we where you know you thought we'd be oh yeah for sure i mean th- this is this is what this team built this season around i think and uh you know so we're we're ready to to take the next step i think the team is playing well, you know, some of the usual concerns, some of the stuff we'll get into. Uh, but man, I, I like our path and, uh, I'm, I'm basically walking around with butterflies constantly right now. Uh, and I, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I'm just, I can't imagine being one of the players right now. I'm nervous and, and I've got nothing to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's, it's one of the last things I think about at night. And the first thing I think about in the morning and, uh, you know, when you're in your thirties and, uh, <laughs> got as much going on in life as as we do it, it that says something right there uh, also with us daniel o'neill uh at embrace pace uva uh daniel uh, i know you've been under the weather a little bit buddy how you doing pal doing okay doing okay i'm glad glad we're still uh we still have the opportunity to have uh not off-season post uh podcast yet so uh as long as we can delay that as long as possible it's it's we're doing good yes sir hopefully we'll have uh just about two more weeks of this. Also with us at University Ball, our buddy Charlie Sawwalser. Charlie, how's it hanging, pal? Doing great. Been been nervous since about the closing horn of the Butler game. Um, looking forward to Friday. Yep, it's uh, it, it, it's it's serious time now, boys. And I don't know if you want to just kind of first touch on our our path so far. And I'll I'll open it up to you first, Phony. You know what did you see in those first two games that? really stood out to you uh let's start with with everything that's positive because i i i think it's mainly all positive so uh what really stood out to you as um you know a good indication that this team is ready to make this next step here this weekend well the first thing that stood out to me about the hampton game is i wasn't able to watch it i i was as, as people that follow me on twitter know i was on an airplane and so i was relying on twitter to get my news and that's a really dangerous thing to do because UVA fans aren't always the most confident folks. So those first four minutes, six minutes when uh, Hampton was hanging with us and, and maybe they, they were up by a point, I mean, it was just sheer panic on my feet. And, and you know, the media is trying to spin it into something, hey, this could be it, this could be a 16 over one. So uh, it, it was a little bit stressful, but uh, again, considering the opponent, I figured Hampton was going to come out, they were going to give us all they had right away. And that's how it shaped up. So we looked like a one seed versus a 16 seed. It's so much different than the Coastal Carolina game two years ago. You know, we, we really look like we, we deserve this and we, we were ready for this opportunity. So uh, when, when we're playing like that, and, and again, we, we did it in the second half against Butler, I don't know that there's anybody in, in this tournament that can stop us. And, and that's really going to be the question. Can we do that uh, for four more games? Yeah, Charlie, let, let's, let's start with the Hampton game and we can kind of separate them here. A little bit. Um, that second half, you know, I thought was just really impressive um, that so many different pieces got involved offensively, hitting shots, shooting confidently, uh, you know, opponent notwithstanding. I thought it was kind of big for the remainder of this event that so many pieces, even in a one and 16 game, kind of got going a little bit. Did you feel that way? Absolutely. I mean, we've We've talked about how what this team needs is a confident third, fourth scorer. The Devin Halls, the Isaiah Wilkins, even the London Perantes type guys to just to be involved and help Malcolm and AG. 
And a lot of these guys hit some shots and got their feet under them for the rest of the tournament. Like we saw Darius hit a couple of threes. Darius hadn't hit two threes in a game since the non-conference schedule, and he was being assertive. We saw Evan hit a couple shots. Toby scored eight points. Everybody got into the action in that game, which I think is something that will really set us up down the line. Um, One more thing I liked, with all those guys getting into it, Malcolm Brogdon only took nine shots. And then this is a guy who has been carrying an immense load on his shoulders through the second half of the season, especially, I mean, really on both ends. And so letting him just kind of ride shotgun and watch everybody else drive for a little bit, I think is very valuable just for keeping him fresh. Yeah, I I agree. It was a game where uh, there, there were just contributions from all over the place. And, you know, Malcolm didn't have to dictate much of anything. Uh, and uh, again, you're going to need those guys in key moments, as we saw in the Butler game. And Daniel, I'll have you uh, chime in there. Let's go ahead and, and, and transition to that game, which was a lot more kind of uh, consequential. Um, you know, what, what stood out to you in that one? I, I know you're going to talk about Marielle a little bit, but um, you know, that that was another game that, that the fan reaction on, on Twitter and everything was, was, was pretty interesting. Give me your take on the way that game unfolded. Well, I think, first of all, I think there was some legitimate... Con- I mean, fans had much more of a point to be concerned in the Butler game than they did in the, the first couple of minutes of the Hampton game. Um, there was definitely some periods within the, the Butler game where I was definitely concerned and um, things didn't look so good for, for a, a period of time. But... I think that my biggest takeaway take from that game is really just our ability to make adjustments. Um, that really, not that we haven't been able to do that in past years, but um, I, I forget who asked it, but someone in, in one of the post game pressers, um, I think it was to Tony, asked, sort of basically suggested that that was the Michigan State game from last year, the way that was going, just sort of an ugly game in the first half. and. Um, sort of both teams sort of sticking with each other and no one really wanting to, to pull away. And I think that it, it's, it's a credit to this team that they're able to, to really make the necessary adjustments, find the right, um, the right guys to go to in certain situations to whether it be offensive, uh, getting looks offensively or different matchups defensively. Um, my biggest theme for this team has been that we just have so many different options. We're not very limited even when we do have to lean on Malcolm and AG and London, the guys like the, that, we still have really, really good proven options that can step up in, in big situations. And I think the Butler game is a perfect example of that, um, where guys like Marielle and Devin um, and Evan and people like Toby and whatnot, it's not really necessarily a, a case of, of one guy, one bench player going off, but just each and every one of them finding a way to make like three or four plays that are just so crucial for the overall team. And I think that's why I'm really confident about us going forward is that um, I expect that to continue. And then obviously whenever, whenever you get huge performances from Malcolm AG in London, then it's just, it's just gravy essentially and um, we'll be that much better. But just overall, we just have so many more like capable contributors um, that I think we're just going to be really, really hard to knock out of the tournament. Yeah, that was a really good demonstration of just the number of weapons we have on the bench, and, and all of those guys bring such a different dynamic to the game. Uh, it, it was really neat to see how Tony moved the pieces around and just you know made things work and, and maximized our, our matchups. Yeah, that four-guard lineup was, uh, was absolutely essential and necessary. That second half was, uh, I mean, it was just a thing of beauty. 54 points. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think we flew in the face of... Con- the conventional wisdom on this team a little bit in this game, like the knock on us has always been that we, we can't win with offense. And I mean, we couldn't, once we got Trabaz under wraps in the second half, did I, did I do that right? I think so. It was in the post game presser. Everybody was calling him Andrew, but anyway, I digress. Once we got him under wraps in the second half, we couldn't stop Roosevelt Jones, but we just, I mean, Butler couldn't stop us at all. And rolling to 54 points and winning a game like that, I think, is valuable to this team. Right, without Malcolm having a, a ridiculous stat line from the game. I mean, that's got to, it should scare people more than anything, is, is that we can put up a 54-point half. And, and Malcolm, obviously, defensively, he was a genius. But offensively, uh, I mean, his attack was as balanced as anyone's. That did kind of start, like fly under the radar a bit, that, that 54 number. I mean, you did see it sort of float around somewhere, some places, but I think because of 
the first half was so ugly that the, the overall point total wasn't that high. Um, that that was a little overshadowed that we did drop 54. And, and now Butler's not a very good defensive team, but, but still, 54 is a big number at all. <laughs> so, Yeah, I, I thought we were a, pretty much a matchup nightmare for them. Uh, it, it, really, I don't think we played that poorly it, offensively in the first half either. I, I think there were two or three threes of Malcolm and London, one come immediately to mind that were halfway down and out. Uh, there were a couple of those runners that Malcolm shot in the first half that uh, usually go down that, that weren't bad shots at all. Uh, it was one of those situations where, I'll be honest with you, I, I was, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say I wasn't nervous about the outcome of the game because basically that one dude was just raining threes all over the place, but I was extremely confident and just the way from a basketball standpoint and execution standpoint, the way that game was going, that we were going to be able to outlast them. Um, I, I really never felt at any point that we were going to lose that game. Um, it, it is remarkable to me how much better we are in the second half. And, and I'll tell you, go back even to the first year that Tony was here when we were 15 and 15 or whatever we were. Uh, we were a much better second half team then. And, you know, he doesn't, Tony doesn't come across as a guy that's going to throw a super fiery emotional speech in at halftime. They, we improve so much due to just adjustments. And this game, again, was just a couple brilliant adjustments. Offensively going to four guards, absolutely destroyed Butler, moving Malcolm over to guard Kravitz or whatever his name is. Uh, you know, obviously that I, Malcolm supposedly looked over at Tony and pointed at his jersey and said, you know, let me guard him. But, um, you know, putting Shayok in, a, a guy they knew would just be aggressive, have him be in that, that fourth guard, uh, just so many pieces came together and it was just a, a brilliantly coached second half. And, um, you know, th this team has so many threats that they can throw at you that way. That you know, it, it just I, I like our chances against anyone. So yeah, uh, I've I've said it before, but it's worth repeating. Tony doesn't get enough credit as a game coach. I mean, people talk about how he develops these teams and and they do well, but as far as in game adjustments and strategy, the uh, drawing up plays. I mean, the 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 guy is really great at it. And it, it doesn't seem like a lot of people want to talk specifically about that. Yeah, I mean, we we suffered through years of Dave Leda's sideline and baseline out of bounds plays, and just the sh even the shots that Tony gets us at the ends of halves and and in just inbounding the ball are just miles ahead of what we've had here in recent years. There was a stat on I saw somebody posted on Twitter. I can't I can't claim to know the uh, validity of it, but somebody posted a, a stat that that Virginia is actually number one in the in the nation at points off of timeouts per possession um yeah i saw i saw that stat and um so did i yeah i don't remember who put it out there but yeah but so I you look it. at how look at how this team does in second half look at that stat if that's legit i, I assume somebody didn't just make that up out of nowhere it's on um, twitter it's gotta be true yeah absolutely so it that all comes back to to, to one to one person and, that, and that's tony bennett so um you know just Kudos to him. I thought it was a just a, a brilliant effort by the guys in both games. I thought there were a lot of things that can uh, be taken away and and used in, in the in the games that are coming up. Just from a confidence standpoint, an execution standpoint, a, a versatility standpoint, uh, and we're going to need all that against Iowa State. And I guess we can go ahead and dive into Chicago here a little bit. Um, Charlie, I'll start with you on this. I I assuming you haven't typed up your your preview yet but have you taken a little bit of time to look at iowa state and and just give me your first overall uh gut feeling on on what we're gonna have to do to beat those guys well shameless plug the preview is out there um excellent and iowa state i think is going to be a handful for i mean just like a handful for us just like they've been a handful for pretty much everybody this season and that I don't think anybody has really stopped them per se, even in the games that they've lost. Um, Iowa State as an offensive team reminds me of Miami and how they run a lot of screens up top and use, use the screener, which often with Miami, they run a lot of two-man action with Sheldon McClellan and Angel Rodriguez. They use the screener as a secondary ball handler. 
except Miami, except Iowa State is looking to get everything done in the first 15 seconds. It's like a hyper caffeinated Miami. And we've had some problems with how Miami spreads us out this season. Like Miami scored between one and 1.2 points per possession in all three games against them this season. So I'm not sure how much luck we're really going to have stopping them so much as we're going to have to take advantage of what we have over them, which is a lot of size inside. George Niang is he's 6'8", 230, but he's built a little bit slightly. He's not a superior athlete. And then Jamil McKay is sort of skinny at 6'9". We've got a little bit of a size advantage inside. So once again, Anthony Gill is going to be a key because I don't think they have anybody who can stop him. And then their guards, Matt Thomas is 6'3", and Monty Morris also 6'3". I, th- I don't know who they're going to have necessarily to check Malcolm. So I feel like it's going to be controlling the glass, going inside to Anthony Gill, and just attempting to use our advantages maybe to win with offense again. Interesting. I know you've actually seen this team a fair amount as well, Daniel. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I've always I've, I've been kind of outspoken on Iowa State for the past couple of years. I think yeah. it, it goes back to when I saw them in person in, this, in our last Sweet 16, right before the UVA-Michigan State game, when they played UConn. <laughs> I remember thinking, watching that game that I'd never seen a team just completely out game planned and just look as bad as they did. And it was and it wasn't just a, an off night. It was just like they were not ready for that game at all. Like stylistically they just didn't match up well with Connecticut and it was it was as if they had showed up there without any preparation at all. It was just basically embarrassing for them. But I have to remove myself a little bit from that from that uh, comparison because th- this is a little bit of a different team. Obviously, they're a different coach, they're different players. But um, I think some of it holds true. But I but I have taken sort of a step back and realized that I think this is going to be a bigger test than I initially thought. Um, I think the points that Charlie made are really really good, um, especially with the comparison with Miami and teams that like this uh, sort of spread us out. That's that's sort of a weakness. Um, but again, I think I think like you said, winning with offense might be our, our route um, here because I mean, they're if you look at them, they're the third worst off uh, defense in terms of efficiency left in the field. The only two worst ones are Duke and Notre Dame. Um, statistics wise, like numbers wise, they actually are pretty comparable to Duke, although I think they're kind of a different team where they play. But um, no, I think the, the the interesting thing will be um, how we limit their their other guys. I think. I think Niang is going to sort of get his. Um, we obviously want to try and make him as, as inefficient as possible, but I think in terms of points and just raw stats, I think he's going to sort of do what he does um, most nights. But um, I think once Brogdon slides over to him, I think which ultimately will happen, um, hopefully he'll slow him down a bit. But the biggest thing for us is we need to prevent one of their other guys from going off. Um, obviously, Morris. Morris is another... Morris is... Uh, I'm a huge fan of Monty Morris. I think I love the way he plays. Um, I think without him, they would they would be an absolute train wreck. I think he's really the quarterback of that team, and uh, they go obviously they go as far as Niang goes, but sort of under the surface, they're kind of probably going as far as Morris goes and setting the, uh, up the looks that Niang and and Thomas and um, the other other guys get. But um, I think we'll want to slow him down, but I think the biggest thing is we just really, really have to avoid guys like Abdul Nader and Matt Thomas and uh, Deontay Burton, uh, Deontay Burton, people like that. Um, those secondary guys, we just have to prevent one of them from getting hot, and those are the type of things that happen. Um, I'm trying to, I can't think of a specific example, but I think if you, you let their guys sort of get theirs but, but limit them, but uh, prevent the sort of extraneous... Um, unexpected hot nights from the other guys and I think we'll be in good shape. I think we just we have to make these guys work. Like yeah. if they're not if they're not scoring in the first 10 seconds, if they're taking longer per per possession to get into their offense and get their points, I think it's going to help us. And if we can make them work on defense, commit some fouls, I mean, foul trouble either fatigue or foul trouble could be brutal to this team cuz Iowa State goes 6 deep. There have been games where they've only played six, and then I mean their seventh guy plays four or five minutes most nights. Yeah, they have so, fewer bench minutes than Duke, which astounds yeah. me. Like I'd rather catch these guys on 
24 hours rest, 48 hours rest than a week. But I mean, still, one would have to think at this point in the season that maybe their legs aren't as fresh as some other teams. And I mean, yeah. if, we can, if we can get especially like I feel like the focus needs to be on Anthony Gill, because if he can get Jamil McKay into foul trouble, like there are no other bigs on that team that can slide over and play him. That's exactly that. That's what I keep thinking about. Charlie is, you know, I think Anthony is in a good spot right now. He's, he's finishing. He's making his free throws. There were times in the Butler game and y'all saw it via our text message chain where, um, you know, even though I, I understand the whole premise behind going four guards is, is if they give any extra attention to Anthony is that he'll be able to kick it out to some folks and get some other shots. You know, when they weren't bringing a second guy, I, I was pulling my hair out on why Anthony was even giving up the ball because he was getting strong position. He was finishing through contact. Uh, and I think, you know, you got to go to him early and often. And even if the ball just flows through him and goes back out. But if he is left in a one on one situation with Jamil McKay, uh, Jamil McKay, he needs to attack the basket on him right then and there, draw some fouls, draw some contact, get good, clean looks. That's the big advantage that I see in this game. Is Iowa State has, has you know, all four guys, uh, really five guys, uh, five of their top six can can shoot threes and, and shoot them well. Um, you know, Adel Nader can get hot. Monty Morris can shoot them. Uh, Burton can shoot them. But, you know, I don't think they're going to get a lot of easy stuff inside. You know, Niang, Niang obviously does most of his damage kind of on the perimeter. He, he can get in there and score and drive and, and draw contact as well. But I think our defense is designed to kind of limit that somewhat. Um, and, I, you know, I hate the analysis of, you know, if just stop threes. Obvious, I mean, that's obvious. If any team drills a bunch of threes, you're, you're probably going to lose. But in this game in particular, I just see Virginia as with Brogdon doing some slashing, Shayok being aggressive off the bounce, Gill and Toby getting looks inside. I, I see us just producing easier looks. And if we can just prevent them from just drilling multiple threes, contest hard, really make them work on that offensive end and want, you know, grind them down. Again, I think it has the chance to be a game that's closer in the first half, especially if they're making some shots. And as we get into that, you know, 10-minute mark in the second half, I think that Iowa State team is really going to wear down. Have any of you guys, I think they're, they're, uh, they're three and six against top 50 defenses does anybody know how they've done in these type of um half court style games as as their fans seem to think they're going to get us up and down the floor but we all know better than that <laughs> yeah I, I did some research on how they did against uh sort of lower tempo slow uh, like slower tempo teams like we are um it's a little bit mixed um like i'm looking at their schedule now and just off the top of my head like first of all arkansas little rocks a really slow team but it's kind of hard to get a read there because, I mean, obviously the talent isn't really what it is on like a Virginia or someone like that. Um, Oklahoma State is another very slow team that they actually had a lot of trouble with this year. Um, they beat them both times, but both games were sort of outliers in terms of number of possessions. And uh, like the last one was 58-50 at home in a really ugly game. And then the, the previous one back in Stillwater was 64-59, which are, just glancing through their schedule, pretty significantly lower point totals than any other game. Um, so I think that's a good example of they can be taken out of their game, but at the same time, they won those both those games. They beat other pretty solid um, half-court teams like Cincinnati. Let's see. Well, else on here? Um, they hung 100. They hung 100 points on Baylor in a 65-possession game. Or yeah. no, they scored 91 on Baylor in a 65-possession game. Yeah, Baylor's another one. Baylor's another slower team that... Uh, well, that was in overtime, though. But, right. uh, uh, but yeah. So, so they... It, like I said, it's mixed, but there is something to be said that um, there are some sort of outliers in, in those slower games, and I think... I don't know. One thing I was just thinking of is I don't think they've really seen a team like us, if if at all this year. Definitely not recently. Um, I mean, Oklahoma's a very good team, but they're good in different ways than we are, and still they haven't 
beaten them since January. They haven't really, they haven't really done much in a while. And I, and I tweeted this out um, a couple of days ago, but they haven't really, they don't really have a good win in, in kind of a long time. So I'm, I'm sort of, I don't know what that necessarily means, um, but I know that we have had some good wins, and I really like, I really like uh, Charlie bringing up the Miami comparison because. They're a team that's that's given us sort of fits and obviously beat us, but we still beat them two out of three times, and um, especially on a neutral floor, I think we we sort of figured them out, um, and so I think we've sort of played teams like this, and I think we'll come into this game a little bit more prepared than Iowa State will. No, I think that's a great way of looking at. It. I think you know our schedule prepared us way better. I think the ACC schedule prepared ACC teams better. I don't know if if all these teams in the Sweet Sixteen are mean we're the best conference, but I think we got the best preparation uh, during the season for the tournament. Um, and uh, yeah, I, Iowa State, they don't really scare me because I, I don't know that they realize what they're about to face. And that, that, that doesn't sound, you know, it's not to sound cocky, but I, they haven't really faced a team that, that's quite like ours. Uh, offensively, I think we slow them down a little bit. Not greatly. That's probably going to be a push. I mean, it's a great offense versus a great defense. But uh, like you guys said, I think the the game is going to turn on the other end of the floor, and I think um, our offense is going to be better than their defense is, and and that's uh, that's going to be the difference. Here's an interesting stat, and and I don't know. You guys can tell me what this means. They shoot uh, the the lowest percentage of of uh, free throw attempts per possession. Um, they're like the third lowest, and they get the lowest percentage of points from the free throw line in the country. Out of what? What's that? The third lowest in the country. In the country, and they 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 have the uh their points have the fewest percentage of points come from free throws of anybody. Um, they are three fifty one per Ken Pond. Yeah, well, they're, yeah. I mean, they're, they're a perimeter oriented team. Yeah. I mean, that they're they want to shoot threes. That's that's their thing. Um, and they want to shoot quick in the <laughs> shot clock, so they're not going to. And they. They're taking. I mean, they're taking more mid-range shots under Prom than they were under Hoiberg, too. Yeah, like they're just—they're not going all the way to the rim. I mean, McKay is the only real bruiser-type guy they have, and he's not really an offensive option so much as he's like the dirty—he's the dirty work guy. Yeah. So, I mean, they're not really built to draw contact and get to the line. Well, that just makes me feel better. One of my recurring nightmares is you know of our best players spending most of the first half on the bench. Uh, because they're picking up fouls. I mean, I think this allows us to play the kind of game we want to play, and everyone says we're a physical team. And uh, you know, if we if we have officials that are uh, you know also hip to that, I think uh, uh, that's really going to benefit us. Yeah, I just have a feeling. I have a feeling it's not going to be. I, I know we mentioned earlier if we can get McKay or Nyang in, in foul trouble, that would be ideal. Um, I feel like whenever whenever you have like an obvious oh if. If he gets in foul trouble, they're screwed. Situation, I feel like that never actually pans out. No, it doesn't. Yeah, we're not good at that. And, so, and, and I think, and I think a lot of that has to do with coaches telling the kids, like, "Hey, you can't get in foul trouble." And so, and, and also, I think the referees kind of understand that as well. Um, so, I'm not sort of banking on that. Um, obviously, that'd be great if that happened. But um, even if you ignore that, I I still think that they. They only really have one option to slow us down in the post. Um, and that's Jamil McKay. Even if he's still in the game, that's the only guy they can rely on. So if, if he can't slow AG down or if, he, if, if Toby goes in there and, and picks up some offensive boards and put, ba- put backs and keeps his sort of a hot streak going, then um, just going back to my overall theme of just having options, like we have a lot of options in the post, whereas they really just have, have one. Um, that, that's that. That is what I just keep coming back to, man. I just hope we use them. Use the bigs, put them in position to score and be aggressive. Uh, you know, Jameel McKay might not foul out of the game, but they are such a they like Charlie said, you lose him. They they have, they, they bring somebody off the bench. Uh what's his name? They, I, I can't remember, but they they they're one big guy they bring off their bench, plays like four minutes a game. Uh I mean Well they, they even play Burton. They go to Burton. And he's like six four. Yeah, he's he's built like Barkley. <laughs> he's he's he's, a, he's <laughs> jacked, but he's he's six four. Um, so that's interesting. Like I, I, I've I mean I've seen him play a bit, but I don't I, I don't 
remember seeing exactly how they use them, but that's I, I remember I saw this week that that people were mentioning that the oh then they'll put Burton on Gill, and I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> does that work? Gill would eat him for lunch, man. That that yeah, that's that when he really excels, and and that would know, be I, tough. On... Sorry, Mike. Go ahead. <laughs> that would that would be tough on both ends, really, because I mean, yeah, there would Burton wouldn't have a prayer in the on the block against AG, but at the same time, Burton's also He's a shooter, and he he can handle a little bit. And I think he would be a handful. Well, I don't I don't think AG would have to guard him. I think we could go to someone else on him. But well, it's gonna be it's gonna be extremely interesting game. I I, I believe that if you want my prediction, uh, whether you want it or not, I'm gonna give it to you. Uh, <laughs> I think Virginia wins this game. I think that it it's close in the first half. Um, and I think that we we pull away like we like we typically do in the sec- second half. We we wear them down. Um, you know, I want to. I really want this team to try to use the advantage that we have inside. I think we own the boards. I think Mike Toby gets some key offensive rebounds. Uh, I think we outwork them in this game. And the only chance that Iowa State has, and I know it's the obvious thing, especially for a team like Iowa State, but if they can consistently hit contested threes which certainly can happen, and they got a bunch of guys that can do it, um, that's, that's the only way that, that we're going to be in trouble. So I'm going to be watching that early and often, and I think even if they're hot early, um, you know, I think towards the end of the game, they'll cool off. We'll be getting cleaner, closer looks to the baskets, getting to the free throw line a lot more than they are. Um, and, you know, I think we take down Iowa State and get into the Elite Eight. Uh, I'd love for, for you guys to... Give me your uh, uh, opinions. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go first. I'm I'm with you. I mean, I don't, and and this is a, a longer term view. I don't see this team losing again this season unless they get out coached. I, I think even if we have a start that we don't want, we can fix it, and and uh, it's really going to be up to that other coach to to make that next next move in the chess game. So, and and I don't think uh, from is the guy that's going to out coach Tony. So I'm not sure exactly what the first half. Is going to hold. I think, uh, you know, you're talking about on, on the closing out on those threes. I think Shayok, you know, he's long. He could see some serious minutes. He might be uh, one of those useful ones. Um, I'm interested to see who, who he ends up on. And, and in the second half, I, I look to Tony to shut down Nyang. I mean, that's to me, that's his MO. Like, who's your star? He's going to take that guy out. That's not going to be the guy that beats us, right, right? The guy that beats us is the guy. We, we didn't necessarily game plan for. And so what we got to figure out is who that's going to be. Is it going to be Morris or McKay? Um, you know, and, and how we make sure that guy doesn't beat us as well. So I, I see a win the, the first half is, is I don't expect it to look, uh, you know, like, like necessarily like a Virginia win. I think it'll be close, but uh, it, it might closely mirror that Butler game and, and kind of the flow of it where we just grind them down and, and especially our depth takes over in that second half and just, just wears them down to nothing. Chuck? I think, I mean, to draw it back to Miami again, I think Monty Morris is really going to be the key. If we can keep him, just like bothering Angel Rodriguez for Miami and keeping him away from the rim, if we can keep Monty Morris from riding into the lane and setting guys up, I think we're going to be in really good shape. I think Niang is really, he's going to get his against whoever we put on him. I think the key is going to be doing what we do best, which is controlling the inside, being bigger and stronger and more physical, and then just trying to counter Morris, keep him, impede his ability to get into the lane, and keep him from hitting guys like, we haven't really touched on Thomas yet, but that guy is a dead-eye shooter. And I feel like, I mean, I, I was really impressed by Devin Hall and the way he stuck to Dunham in the second half of that Butler game. And I feel like that's probably going to fall on Devin again. But just whoever guards Morris is going to have to stay in front of him, keep us from having to help, and keep guys like Thomas from just getting wide open looks. But if we can limit the impact that Morris has, I think we're going to be in good shape. And I I hate making bold proclamations, but I feel pretty good that we're going to see this team in the Elite Eight. Daniel. Yeah, so I've got a, a few predictions, and, and first off, I'll get this out of the way. I'm, I'm definitely not going to pick against this team right now. Um, I'm definitely, I definitely expect to win on Friday night. But um, in terms of specific predictions, um, I'm feeling a good old-fashioned avalanche in this game. Uh, I think, I think this is the type of game where we 
maybe even start a little bit ugly or um, let let them hang around. We and... wouldn't do that, Daniel. <laughs> so I think it'll be pretty tight for for a stretch of time. Whether that goes into the second half or not, I'm not sure. But I think this is the type of team Iowa State misses a couple quick shots. We get a couple quick scores on the other end where I could see, yeah. especially a team that likes to get quick shots and especially a team that likes those shots to be from the perimeter, that seems like a recipe that could play right in our favor. And um, if, if things go the right way there and we get some momentum, obviously um, we won't really have a home crowd to rely on in Chicago, um, and then there'll probably be a lot of Iowa State fans there. But still, um, I still think that if, if things sort of go that way, we could get a good old-fashioned avalanche and That'd be a lot of fun. And then finally, my other prediction that I hinted at earlier is I think that this could be another big game for Mike Toby. Um, I, th- I really actually like his matchup with McKay. Um, it seems like kind of... Uh, may- some people might not naturally think of that as a good matchup, but I think that a more traditional big man like McKay, even though he's a little more athletic like that, um, Toby still has a size advantage in the way he's playing right now. I think he could, uh, in a one-on-one matchup with him, have a really good, have a really big night. So I'm looking for that as well. So uh, those are my predictions, and I really now I now I just really want to catalyze. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I I certainly hope you're right. I think I think your your opinion is is spot on. It's um you know they are the team that's kind of set up for that. It's just they they're gonna have to miss you know that they're gonna have to miss some shots, and uh, we're gonna have to capitalize. Let's talk uh, before we move on. I, I do want to touch on you know not to get our head of ourselves, but pretend like we, we, we win that game. Uh, I want to talk quickly about what we have to do to get to the final four, but let's talk about Merrill Shayok just for a little bit. And, and Phony, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, you know, he's a guy that, that, uh, you know, has oozes confidence from the second that he arrived here. He, he never saw a shot he didn't like, and he, he's not scared to pull the trigger. Um, that, you know, we kind of need sometimes. And when he hit those two back-to-back shots on back-to-back possessions against Butler, uh, I felt like that was possibly the catalyst to kind of get things going for us the other night. No, he really showed something. I mean, he he and both both he and Devin Hall don't seem to be afraid of the moment. They they both want to take that big shot, and uh, it was him that that was hitting it that last game. I mean, he had so many big plays. I really thought he should have been that pillar player of the game. I mean, I know he was, I think, only the third best in points, but to me, he was the guy that turned it around. I mean, he he covers so much ground with every stride. I mean, it's it's really interesting watching him uh, out there. I, I used to be afraid of any time he put the ball on the ground. I mean, his, his yeah, handle no. around other people was sketchy, but he seems to be choosing his moments a little better now. Go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say, I think that, that his wrist injury really affected that a lot more than people think. Like, I don't, I like last season when he had the ball in his hands, I, I didn't have that, that concern. And then for a lot of this year in that middle chunk, it was really bad. I, I, I think that was more of an indication of him not being completely healthy. I think he's corrected that somewhat. I, I'm so- I agree. It looked like his dribble was higher, like to make exactly. less contact on the ball uh-huh. through December after the wrist injury and into January. And I think he's, He's handling it just he's being more assertive with the handle since at least recently. Yeah, assertive is right. I mean, he's playing with confidence now, and he really just didn't seem to have any for a while there. I mean, even on a on a shot, I mean, he would pass up shots and, and you know, because he he missed the first one. And uh, he, he's definitely he's not passing them up again, which which, like you said, we knew we can use a guy like that. And Daniel, I know you saw a lot of his tape in, in high school and. You know, he was he was a slasher, man. He 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 didn't shoot the ball from the perimeter much. He's dramatically improved his three-point shot but now that he's kind of lowering his head and getting to the basket I, I I know he's a better free throw shooter than he's showing as well which is, is frustrating me but um you know Mario I, I was concerned during that injury part of the season that maybe you know that's a guy that I that's a guy that I know wants to play and and believes that he can be great I was starting to get a little concerned about his future here if he didn't kind of get out of that rut and now that he's breaking out and being the Mariel from his high school tape. I think he has a tremendous future here. Yeah, I think maybe he uh, started watching some, some some film of DeAndre Hunter and said, oh, oh dang, I got to get together. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he has really turned, I mean, I did think that, I think his wrist injury um, and just sort of the timing of it and 
other players like Devin playing well, and especially and especially at the time, Darius was playing really well immediately right. after his wrist injury. So there was just sort of some we we sort of settled on a rotation, and he was kind of out of it for a little while, and finally worked his way back in, and now he. He does seem to have that confidence back, which is great. Um, we just have, I mean, just going back to it, we just have so many guys um, that are and, and trending upwards as the season is nearing a close. Like, no one's sort of on the outside looking in. Like, that Hampton and in the Butler game, to a lesser extent, we've talked about it a bunch already, but still, it's, it's kind of amazing how you think of, like, Really, every player has a reason to be confident right now, and that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, Mike and Evan have been like the probably the least consistent guys in that regular rotation this season, and they're both uh, they they seem to be peaking right now. Evans Evans been playing well. I mean, he's another guy we could look out for on Friday, and I wonder if they they might try him on Niang for a bit because Niang's not the most athletic guy in the world. And I think Evan might be crafty enough to to sort of figure out some of his moves and defend him for a bit. So. I, I definitely think we'll see him on him for a bit, um, but I think we'll also try out a, a number of different looks until, if not, and if none of them work, eventually go to Brogdon. But right. <laughs> I like I like what Daniel just said there a lot because Evan is Niang is somebody who kind of, in a way, he's he's the old man at the racquetball court. He's one of those guys. He's got a lot of little moves that like you don't think they're going to work, and then he's at the rim. And Evan, for all the for all the grief he gets, he's very good at just keeping himself locked like into his man's chest. And if he gets beat, it's just going to be because of athletic ability. It's not going to be like because he's out of position or he bites on a fake. And I feel like he could be, I mean, he's an option. Obviously Niang is a great player and I don't even know if any one option is going to last for too long, but he is another good one to have. Yeah, it's, it's, I, it's, like I kind of think I kind of think Evan is Tony's he's Tony's security blanket. Like he knows the defense, he's versatile enough to play several different spots and it on offense he's going to facilitate and make things happen and he's hit 60% of his threes over the last 3 weeks. So I feel like he's just he's somebody that he's confident right now and Tony knows he can go to. Man, and I got torn up on the Saber before the season for saying Nolte was going to be useful in times when we needed someone to stabilize the team and, and be leadership and, and uh, you know, j- just be that guy that, that doesn't have to do everything, but, but holds us steady. And that's, that's what he's doing right now. I mean, I feel good when he's in there. Well, funny, well, I, you're right. And a lot of fans are stupid because that, uh, <laughs> that, that was, that was extremely evident to anyone that's watched him throughout his career. Even, you know, I could have, I would have bet my, uh, you know, a month paycheck that that he was going to hit big shots for us to forget everything else being a, a solid team defender and um you know usually being in the right spot at the right time um you know evan evan was going to break out and hit some big shots again you know he he's going to come into this program as a as a role player and he's going to finish as one but he, he did a lot of things in the four years he was here to to help us win basketball games and um you know kinda... I'll, I'll... go ahead I've kind of pulled, I mean, I'm saying the same things I've always said about Evan, but I'm saying them in a more positive light now. Like before I was saying that I felt like Evan was going to be pushed to the margins because there was somebody else on the team that did everything he does better than he does it. And I still think that's, I mean, it's true in a lot of ways, but I'm not sure that there's anybody who does just the total package plus the experience and knowledge of the system. Like there is a value to being to knowing your role, filling it, and just being a glue guy. And, I mean, Evan is that guy. Yep, there absolutely is a value to it. And, you know, I, I think what's remarkable, guys, is we've, we've talked about we've talked about so many guys and, and so many guys that are confident at the right time. And, you know, nobody is in a, a bad position mentally. Even Darius, who seemed like he was in a funk forever, has broken out a little bit. And, and we've been talking about all these names, and we've barely even discussed the uh, a final for Naismith player of the year uh, award guy in Malcolm Brogdon, who is uh, still in the midst of one of the more impressive stretches in Virginia basketball history. Definitely the most impressive of my, you know, at least not of my lifetime since I, you know, was alive in the early eighties, but uh, you know, since I've been following the program closely. So, um, you know, boy, we are, uh, it's, it's a special time and I still believe this team can do, uh, a very special thing here in, in a couple weeks. Let, let's talk real quick about um, 
the, the our, our next opponent potentially and we got Gonzaga and Syracuse um playing for the right to play us in the Elite Eight and uh Daniel who who do you want out of those two I think I know what your answer is going to be and um you know I'll just ask you if, if we win against Iowa State uh are we are we going to Houston I do think so. Um, and obviously, I mean, I, I don't like to I'm not guaranteeing anything or like that, but I think this game will be significantly more challenging than either um, any one of Syracuse or Gonzaga. Um, I don't, I don't know. Syracuse is a little scary just because after what happened last game, just Malachi Richardson might never stop hitting threes, but I think also he ended the game on a sour note, so maybe that. <laughs> Maybe that sort of ended that stretch, but I don't know. I think we match up well with both those teams. Um, Gonzaga has no backcourt, and I think that we match up well with with teams that try and sort of bang it down low with traditional post players. Um, I don't know. I, I think this is a real challenge. I was State on Friday, and if if we do we take care of business there, I I don't expect a letdown or anything against whoever we might face out of Syracuse or Gonzaga. You heard it first from Daniel O'Neill, a cavalanche to roll Iowa State on Friday and then a coast into the <laughs> Final Four. That's what the hell I'm talking about. How about you, Charlie? Um, I think I'm going to echo Daniel and that I think I would rather look at Gonzaga because I just don't think they're going to be able to get the ball easily to either of those two bigs. Like I just, And then I, once that doesn't happen, I think the wheels fall off. And I think Syracuse is playing maybe the best basketball they have all year. And I mean, they're, they're peaking at the right time and Richardson's hitting shots. And that's just not really a team I want to see again right now. So I'll cast my lot. Richardson's a really good player. He is. Oh yeah. And he's really coming on. So (laughs) I, I'll pick, I would rather face Gonzaga. And yeah, I think, and I'll also echo, I think Iowa state is going to be by far the toughest test. Oh yeah. Before the final four, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, the, I I feel better about whatever comes after Iowa State than I do Iowa State, but that may just be because Iowa State is the next game and uh, uh, therefore the most dangerous one right now. B- between those two, so I think yeah, we beat Iowa State. So between Syracuse and Gonzaga, you know, I'm actually going to go the other way. I think Syracuse, yeah, they're playing the best basketball of of their season. They might be punching above their weight class a little bit, and and you know, let's. Let's face it; their their competition hasn't been. I mean, they they played a seven and a fifteen seed. Like I'm not sure that it's not so much smoke and mirrors that we're seeing right now. And we know them. And we've you know Tony hasn't lost to Jim Beheim at Virginia, um, probably probably not ever. Gonzaga is more of an unknown to this team, so I, I'd rather see Syracuse. But uh, frankly, I like our chances against either of them. Hey Amen. I I. I'm with you guys. I, I truly believe I, I'll, I'll take either of them. I, I think we get past the Cyclones that we're going to Houston. I'm going to Houston. I'm begging you guys to go to Houston. And uh, we're going to get to that point. That, I've, that I've, I, I've had a lot of free drink offers uh, along the way here. So uh, hopefully if we can get to go to Houston. Um, we can I want to record a hard hedge episode in person in Houston. Oh, that would oh, be great. Dude, yes, that. Let's make, let's make that happen. All right, guys. Well, uh, I think we're getting close to an hour here. Um, you know, I think we'll we'll uh, sign off here, and we're gonna try to definitely be back at you no matter what happens this weekend, next week. Uh, but I think we'll be uh, we'll be talking about our our trip to Houston. Um, so, uh, I'll guys, why don't you real quickly let everybody know where they can find you, Tony or Phony? <laughs> Phony, start with you. <laughs> All right, you can find me uh, at if Tony tweeted and. and I just want to say, because hopefully everyone will listen to this before the Iowa State game, that do not panic when the first half is close, or even if we're down by a couple points at the first half. Uh, that's not going to be a surprise at all. The, the second half is, is where this game is going to be won or lost by us. And, and again, I think we lose. Charlie? You can find me at, at University Ball on Twitter and at universityball.org, where I blog on UVA basketball and football. So what was the uh, verdict of your uh, of your poll there? Are you going all hoops on us? Well, the funny thing to me was that the vast the the leader by far was people voting. It's not already all hoops all the time, which I guess is what happens. What happens when you put the poll up in March? You know, I'm 
I'm not sure. I'm thinking it over. Um, I would rather, I think I know basketball more than I know any other sport. And I feel like I would rather delve into some aspects of the hoops program. I don't get into now and maybe focus a little less on the others, but you know, we'll see thinking it over. That sounds similar to me, pal. I, uh, you know, I, I obviously pull with my heart on, on everything. Uh, but my love and it is basketball and that's why I, I focus my stuff there. But, um, you know, uh, I'm excited either way. You got the best game previews out there. And if you don't check out Charlie's work, then you're, you're missing out. Another uh, former blogger who used to write some great blog posts, uh, now we only enjoy his tweets, I'm for the comeback. is uh, Daniel O'Neill. Maybe on Friday we might have, might have a surprise. But, but yeah, in the meantime, uh, find me at EmbracePaceUVA on Twitter. Uh, if there is a surprise on, on Friday, it'll, you can, I'll have a link there. So. Um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, at Wahoo basketball, obviously guys, I do some feature <laughs> writing for, for a Cavs corner. Um, but you can always, I, I love interacting. If you have any questions, comments, if you'd like to, uh, you know, ask a question live on the show, even, uh, we are, we are wide open to it. Just reach out to us and, and we'd love to get you on one little editorial piece before I say goodbye. I, I was going to say this and, and phony kind of touched on it. Uh, be upset if things don't go, you know, the way that you want them to go, but you don't, you know, the overall progress of this program can never be lost on you. And one outcome of one game, one half, one stretch of play, uh, you can be frustrated and vent all you want on Twitter about what you're seeing in front of you. But in my opinion, you need to be careful about going after the kids, the program, saying it's a disaster uh some of the stuff some of the stuff when when things don't go our way uh just just gets a little a little over the top and uh just be very appreciative uh to where we are as opposed to six seasons ago and um you know i always always am and i just try to urge other fans to try to be the same way and that's it for us tonight uh thank you so much for joining us let's march our way on to houston folks wahoo wah.